Hello and welcome to episode 56 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Ryan Spader. Ryan is the man behind the Ace of Spader Twitter account. He's also a contributor at Sporting News and the author of the book, Incredible Baseball Stats, The Coolest, Strangest Stats and Facts in Baseball History. Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Hi, Ross. Thanks for having me. Well, I ask everyone this right at the top. Tell me what initially got you into baseball in the first place. Well, I, I got into baseball as a kid, as as many do. My father was a huge baseball fan. His father was a huge baseball fan. But um, what kind of got me into the whole stats and numbers thing was uh, it wasn't actually too long ago. I, I was always into you know baseball cards as a kid in the back of them growing up. And I was into the numbers. But um, I started getting into some of the advanced numbers around 2012 specifically what stuck out to me was Cliff Lee had a season uh, in which he went six and nine I believe it was 2012 maybe 2011 and uh, he went six and nine and all of Philadelphia was panicking because Cliff Lee's done but if you looked at the rest of his numbers he he was just Cliff Lee Uh, you know when you looked at the numbers even on the level of just strikeouts and walks he was actually the first pitcher to have at least 200 strikeouts and fewer than 30 walks since Cy Young in 1906. So it was just went to show that you can't really just look at a pitcher's win and loss record and you know blame that squarely on him. Now, you developed a Twitter following very fast when you were first on Twitter. I think you were just called Baseball Reference Play Index or something. And uh, you've changed your name a few times. You keep getting followers and supporters. You're also an active member of the Marines. Where's the strangest place you've ever done a play index search from? Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, I would probably say in the middle of the desert in California, uh, probably at like one in the morning or something like that, standing on top of a a sand dune trying to get a <laughs> trying to get surface well at least it's not the middle of the desert in iraq that would have been a different thing i, I don't think uh, i'd be playing with play index out there <laughs> well basically all of the numbers that we're going to talk about today are through the play index so thank you for baseball reference for being awesome we're going to do a lot of hall of fame talk today we're going to go over everyone on the ballot do some numbers for the people on it uh, some players will have a lot of stats i get the feeling tim raines and edgar martinez we may have a lot maybe some others will just have one I don't know how many we're going to have for Jorge Posada. We'll see. We'll start with him, though. We'll start with the four new guys on the ballot. Jorge Posada, he's one of 10 integration era catchers with an OPS plus of 120. So that's pretty good. But to me, he is a good player on a great team. I think he's going to do better than I thought he would on the ballot. It looks like he's going to at least stay on for one more year. But I would not put him in, and I don't think he's deserving. But do you have a good Jorge Posada number? He has 1,767 total hits in baseball, regular and postseason. Uh, of those, 5.83 percent, 103 came in the postseason, which is the highest percentage in baseball history uh, among those with you know a reasonable amount of uh, regular and postseason time. That's pretty cool. Let's move on to Manny Ramirez, a guy with a lot of controversy around him. He had two positive tests for steroids, served two suspensions. He's one of 18 players in Major League history. If we're going to do some old school counting numbers, one of 18 with 500 home runs, 1,500 RBI, 1,500 runs, and 1,000 extra base hits. That shouldn't be a surprise. He is one of the best hitters of all time. I definitely agree with you, and I also think that Manny Ramirez should be in the Hall of Fame. And also, I kind of I kind of think that, you know, Ramirez's uh, pops came later in life. You know, 
if maybe the guy just loved the game and wanted to stick around a little longer, I mean, it's a, it's a silly thought and I'm, I'm not naive, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, that's also a possibility. I, I think the PED guys should be in too. I think Manny and A-Rod and Palmero, even though it's the tested positive and the testing error should be in, I just think the Hall of Fame should acknowledge it. I don't know why a museum would run away from history. That's what they're doing. And I don't know why they're putting writers in a position to basically be a moral goon squad. I don't think the museum should run away from history. I don't think writers should be a judge of character. I think they can be a judge of career. And that's it. Acknowledge that he used, acknowledge what he did at the plate and move on. Well, yeah, and you know what? The the funny is that they will acknowledge that these players quote unquote cheated, and they don't want them anywhere near the Hall of Fame. But then we ignore the fact that um, guys like Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, uh, admitted using amphetamines, and they, you know, uh, these are also bans that, uh, drugs that are banned today. But for some reason, we don't hold them to the same standard just because they are not. Um, anabolic steroids quote unquote but in reality the the end res, the end result's the same you know you're going to perform at a higher level every single day for a grueling 162 game schedule um, i mean and pd's go way back you got a guy pud galvin who's a hall of famer who it's documented that he actually injected i believe it was sheep testicles into his body yeah, one of the first steroid users is Pud Galvin. First 300-game winner was using steroids or some sort of testosterone way back when. Mickey Mantle, during the 1961 home run chase, he actually missed the last week of the season because of an abscess on his knee that came from an injection of steroids and speed. The doctor that gave it to him was nicknamed Dr. Feelgood. All the players knew him as Dr. Feelgood because they'd give him injections of steroid and speed. Give me a break. Moving off Manny and onto Vlad Guerrero, another newcomer. No steroid suspicions around Vlad Guerrero. I think he will get in, but probably not this year. Give me your best Vlad Guerrero number. So I'll drop two pretty cool uh, Vlad Guerrero numbers on you. One of them, the Expos, who uh, were around from 1969 to 2004, had a franchise batting average of 253. If you take Vlad Guerrero out of that equation, the team's franchise batting average drops uh, almost a point and a half. Wow, one player. That's pretty amazing. Yes, and then uh, just one other one real quick. Uh, in 2002, Vlad Guerrero became the first player with at least 200 hits, 40 steals, and a 575 slugging percentage since uh, Kiki Collier in uh, 1925. There haven't been any since. Going off of Vlad Guerrero onto the other notable newcomer this year, Pudge Rodriguez. Pudge is doing better than I thought he would. He also has steroid suspicion around him. Piazza going in last year, Bagwell likely this year. I think the writers are deciding that suspicion isn't enough, but there is still more circumstantial evidence against Pudge than there is against either of those two. Without that, he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but those suspicions are there. We both think he should be in regardless, but what do you have number-wise on Pudge? In 1996, Pudge Rodriguez had a had 47 doubles, which is a record for a catcher. He also added three triples, so he very easily could have been the only catcher in history of 50 uh, doubles in a season, but you know he was never the uh, kind of player who was going to pull up lame when there was a chance to grab an extra base. Pudge wasn't the hitter that people think he was. His career OPS plus is 106. He actually, he played until 2011, but from 2005 to 2011, he was a below average hitter. That's not something you'd expect from someone who's perceived by many to be one of the greats of all time. And I think he is because of his defense, but perhaps we're overrating him just a tad. 
We'll go now to some of the uh, holdover candidates on the Hall of Fame ballot. We'll start in reverse order of where they finished vote-wise last year. So at the bottom of the list of the holdover candidates was Sammy Sosa. I'll give you my favorite Sammy Sosa number. From 1998 to 2003, he hit 332 home runs. Over a six-year stretch, he averaged 55 a year. That's a record. So how that compares to other home run notables, Babe Ruth, his most over a six-year stretch was 302. That happened between 1926 and 1931. Barry Bonds, from 1999 to 2004, he hit 292 home runs. That's the most he ever hit. Hank Aaron was never the massive, never had any 50 home run seasons. He was just very consistent. His best six-year stretch was 241. That happened from 66 to 71. And Mark McGuire, from 1995 to 2000, hit 316. So Sammy Sosa, he was an exceptional home run hitter, and he hit 332 over a six-year stretch. What do you have on Sosa? You know, Sosa actually did some a couple other things pretty well before that. Uh, my favorite is... It, inclusive of what you said, but uh, 98 to 02, he averaged 61 home runs a season. And of course, in the year before that, that started, 97, the most ever in a season was 61. Also, Sosa, uh, he, he's a two-time 30-30 guy, which a lot of people don't realize. And then um, 1994, he would have been a 30-30 uh, guy again, but the, uh, the strike, of course, uh, cut him short. Let's move on to Billy Wagner. This number comes from friend of the podcast, Dan Simborski. He posted this on Twitter the other day. To get to Lee Smith's innings pitched and ERA plus, Billy Wagner would need 389 and a third innings pitched to an ERA of 7.33. That's 389 innings to an ERA of 7 to match Lee Smith's ERA plus. And it's numbers like that that honestly make me think we're overrating longevity way too much in Hall of Fame discussions like this. Right. And if you if you look at that last season that he had with Atlanta, it was spectacular. There's no reason that he couldn't hung couldn't have hung around for another five years or even maybe even longer. You know, those lefties, you got guys who will pitch for years. Look at a guy like Jamie Moyer. I think he was pitching at 49 and starting games. And that's because, you know, left-handed pitching is valuable. Let's jump ahead a little bit and move on to Larry Walker. Larry Walker is one of just 21 players in Major League history with a slash line of 300, 400, 500. That's with a minimum of 5,000 plate appearances. Looking at Jaws, wins above replacement, OPS plus, runs created plus. He is well above Hall of Fame standards. He only played a quarter of his games in Colorado. What do you have on Walker? All right, Larry Walker is one of my favorites to do numbers on, so I might toss two at you. But uh, the first one is... Larry Walker at Coors Field batted 381, 462, 710 at Coors Field. But like you said, he only played about a quarter of his games there. And then elsewhere, he batted 282, 372, 500. You look at some Hall of Famers, he's, he's right there. But then uh, if you look at a, one Hall of Famer in particular, Chuck Klein, who played in the greatest hitters park of all time, the Baker Bowl, uh, played almost the majority of his games in the Baker Bowl. He batted 395, 448. 705 in the Baker Bowl. And then um, elsewhere, he batted only 277, 339, 451. So you're talking a wide margin of difference between his numbers at the Baker Bowl and elsewhere than Larry Walker's numbers at Coors Field and elsewhere. One other for you. Walker would need to come back, go 0 for 294 in order for his career batting average to fall below 300. So he, he can afford another 0 for half season before he's uh, no longer a career 300 hitter. My line with Larry Walker is that he hit like Ted Williams at Coors Field and Billy Williams everywhere else. Both of those guys are in the Hall of Fame and Larry Walker should be too. But let's jump ahead to the next guy, Mike Mussina. 
Yusina is one of just 22 players in Major League history that have 80 war and 40 wins above average. 22 pitchers, that is. Only he, Kurt Schilling, and Roger Clemens are not in the Hall of Fame. The other pitchers on that list are pretty much the best pitchers ever, which is a grouping I think he belongs in. Just a fun one on Messina. You got uh, pitchers with a better career ERA, more innings pitched, and more strikeouts than Messina. You got Randy Johnson, Greg Maddox, Roger Clements, Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, and Walter Johnson. And uh, just one other fun thing on Messina. Uh, you know, he pitched the majority of his career in the American League, excuse me, his entire career in the American League East. And, um, you, you know, a lot of guys who pitch a, lo- uh, a large part of their career in the National League rack up strikes, strikeouts against pitchers. Messina actually fell shy of 3,000 strikeouts by 187. And that's due in large part to the fact that only 20 of his career strikeouts came against the pitcher. Let's move ahead to one of your guys. He was the focal point of one of your recent newsletters, which people can find links to on your Twitter page, Edgar Martinez. Edgar Martinez is another member of the 300, 400, 500 club. Didn't become a starter until he was 27 years old. Give me some Edgar Martinez numbers. I know he's one of your favorites. Oh, absolutely. Um, well, just my my huge argument on Edgar Martinez is, let's face it, David Ortiz is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. But David Ortiz, just if you look at the numbers and you look at the numbers without any bias, they don't hold a candle to what Edgar Martinez did. And I'll drop you a couple comparisons between the two guys. So in terms of career war, one full season by Edgar Martinez, 162 games, is worth 234 played by David Ortiz. And another one, we're going to go just with slash line here. David Ortiz had just one season, 2007, uh, in which he equaled each leg of Edgar Martinez's career slash line. And then just the last one, uh, David Ortiz would have to opt out of retirement which actually tweeted something about today now that the Red Sox signed sale, but uh, would have to opt out of retirement, return to baseball in 2017, and reach base in all of 664 plate appearances safely in order to pass Edgar Martinez in career on base percentage. Yeah, that one doesn't seem doable. It doesn't seem doable. Now, in credit to Ortiz, I do think Martinez is the better hitter, but Ortiz was more productive for longer. And Martinez, part of that was he was didn't become a starter until he was 27 years old. He was kept in the minors for two years uh, when he was ready, and that hurt his numbers. And late bloomers in general have a hard time getting into the Hall of Fame unless you're Randy Johnson and you blossom into basically the best pitcher ever. Right, uh, and I agree with you. One of my favorite of all time. Before Ichiro, he was the oldest ever to start out and get uh, reach the 3,000 hit mark is uh, Wade Boggs. He, he didn't get his first hit until nearly 24 you know, you mentioned Randy Johnson and, you know, what he blossomed into. Edgar Martinez was definitely a late bloomer, but what he blossomed into was somebody who uh, reached base safely 2,369 times in his 30s, good for a 436 on base percentage. Ty Cobb, one of the greatest of all time in his 30s, reached base safely 28 fewer times and had an on base percentage that was three one thousandths of a percentage point lower. So. You know, you're talking Randy Johnson. Well, we're talking Ty Cobb there, who's also one of the best of all time. And let's move on to another guy. I know you have lots of numbers. It's tough to know where to start with the Barry Bonds fun facts. Give me some Barry Bonds numbers. Through 1996, Barry Bonds had 334 home runs and 380 stolen bases uh, in his career. A list of players who have eclipsed both of those totals in their entire career 
Well, it doesn't exist. It's Barry Bonds could have retired in 96 and no player ever would have more home runs and more stolen bases. So you want to take the, the, the quote unquote steroid years away. Bonds was already there. And then, you know, he had a stretch between 01 and 02 where he hit 80 home runs over the span of 160 games. Barry Bonds had a 500 on base percentage over his final 1,412 games. What he did was incredible, and people forget this too. In Game of Shadows, all of the documenting of his use, he started using after the 1998 season. His career war through 1998 was 99.6. He had an OPS plus of 164. For context, Albert Pujols' career war is 101. His OPS plus is 157. Prior to steroid use, he was already better than Pujols. Unbelievable. The next guy is a, in a similar situation, another dominant player, Roger Clemens, through 1997. He had a war of 93.2 and an ERA plus of 149. He had already won four Cy Young Awards before he had met Brian McNamee, which was his second year in Toronto. Do you have any good Roger Clemens nuggets? Uh, yeah, actually, one of my favorite, and you know, we've been talking a little war here, career wins above replacement. You got Roger Clemens at 139.4. And then how about uh, Pedro Martinez and Sandy Koufax combined at 139.2? Two of the great peak pitchers ever. Their combined war just barely equals Clemens. That's right. Unbelievable. And I do think with Bonds and Clemens, we saw Susan Slusser tweet this out and a few others as well. Bud Selig going in is going to help both of them. Bud Selig, I think a lot of people feel like he could have done a lot more to prevent steroids, to institute testing earlier. That he's going in and those guys are being kept out is a farce. I think him going in will help them in the long term. They're not going to get in anytime soon, but I think that eventually people will take a step back and they will get in at some point in our lifetimes. I am inclined to agree. Next up is huge blowhard, but also one of the great pitchers ever, Kurt Schilling. I'll give you two Kurt Schilling stats that I love. He's one of four pitchers in Major League history with 3,000 or more strikeouts and fewer than 1,000 walks. He's also one of two pitchers in Major League history with 3,000 or more strikeouts and fewer than 3,000 hits allowed. The only other there is Pedro Martinez. In terms of Schilling stats, one of my favorites is that he had a 4.383 strikeouts per walk during his career. Second best mark of all time. Um, That's second to a fellow named Tommy Bond, who last pitched in 1884. Uh, He was at 5.036 strikeouts per walk. And uh, Bond played at a time when as many as nine balls were required for a walk. So certainly a different kind of game then. And then um, just I, I often say, um, Schilling is the, the greatest postseason pitcher of all time. Uh, so let me just drop a couple on you there. Uh, rapid fire. He's the only pitcher in baseball history to win a, post- a World Series game in his 20s, 30s, and 40s. He's got plus 4.092 WPA in his postseason career, which is the highest all-time by a starter. Um, in his five career postseason starts with his team facing elimination, he has a 1.37 ERA in his three career postseason starts with his team able to clinch he's got a 1.16 era i mean he's he's the greatest big game pitcher of all time so hands down you give me world series game seven i'll I'll take number 38 on the mound and his political views have definitely cost him some votes i don't think that's right but that is the reality he will eventually get in though he has a long road ahead of him he's not making his candidacy any easier he's not making himself easy to vote for even though he is one of the great pitchers of all time he will get in and that induction speech is something that we're all going to have to dread 
We're going to jump over Trevor Hoffman a little bit. Sorry, Trevor Hoffman. You might get into the Hall of Fame this year or next, but we're skipping you so we can get to Tim Raines. I know he's one of your favorites. You did a piece on him on Sporting News recently. Let's get into some Tim Raines numbers. Before I give you any Tim Raines numbers, let me just give you a quick on him and on his character, which, of course, a lot of people are invoking the character clause not to vote for Schilling. Well, uh, Tim Raines, I was fortunate enough to interview him for this uh, piece that I did for Sporting News. And uh, I thought it was going to be a five-minute interview, give me a couple quotes, what I need for a story. And um, it, it turned out just being two guys chatting baseball for about an hour. Um, he genuinely loves the game. He was so much fun to talk to. And then um, after talking with him, I asked him if he would say a couple words to my father, who was a huge fan of his. He, my father saw him in his prime seasons, and he, my dad got me into baseball. So, you know, I wanted to feel like a big shot getting uh, Tim Raines on the phone with my dad. And he said, yeah, I would, lo- I would love to say hi. Well, then if, wouldn't you know that he ends up talking to my father for an hour, just shooting, shooting the breeze about baseball. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Getting into the numbers of it. He was a great base dealer, but what he said to me was he never really looked at um, stealing bases as something to accumulate it was just a way to win games it was a, a kind of like a little a little tool to win games so he never really counted them he only wanted to take the risk of stealing a base if it was going to be worth the risk of uh, getting caught and he stole bases at the greatest rate of all time 84.7 percent that's the best of anybody with 400 attempts and rock of course had 954 so he was so good at stealing bases success that Ricky Henderson would actually have to return to baseball and uh, steal 448 consecutive bases in order to pass Reigns in efficiency. He's also just one of five players in Major League history with 700 stolen bases and 700 extra base hits. The other four, Ty Cobb, Hannes Wagner, Ricky Henderson, Lou Brock. You got any other good Reigns nuggets? He's the only player in baseball history with consecutive seasons with at least 30 doubles and 70 stolen bases. He had not two, not three, not four, but five consecutive Five in a row from 1982 to 1986. And before 1982, the last player with such a season was Ty Cobb back in 1915. This, of course, is Tim Raines' last year on the BBWAA ballot. He's already picked up a few votes. He's going to need a few more. I do think he gets in this year. It'll be close enough that we'll have to worry about it on Election Day as he will lose some support on the private ballots. But Tim Raines will go in this year, and that's good for everybody. It's good for the Hall of Fame, and it makes the writers look good, too. Let's move ahead to the last player, Jeff Bagwell. He had the highest percentage of returning candidates on the ballot last year. He's in really good shape to get in this year. One of my favorite Bagwell stats, he's one of just 14 players in Major League history with 400 home runs and 200 stolen bases. He's the only first baseman to do it, though, so that's pretty cool. You know, we talked a little Barry Bonds earlier. How about uh, through the first 14 career seasons, uh, home runs? Jeff Bagwell, 446. Barry Bonds, 445. Just a, just a couple other numbers on Bagwell. One of my personal favorite is um, in 1994, he became the first player to slug 750 and steal at least 15 bases since Babe Ruth in 1923. I do think Bagwell comfortably clears the 75% this year. I do think Reigns gets over that mark as well. Trevor Hoffman's going to be exceptionally close. He has picked up a few votes on the tracker, on Ryan Thibodeau's tracker. He's also lost a couple as well. So Hoffman's going to be very close. At least it's going to be Bagwell and Reigns, and you add Bud Selig and John Sherholtz to that. I think the Hall of Fame class is going to be either a class of four or a class of five. And then next year, the ballot gets very crowded again, and a lot of players are going to be stuck, but we'll get to that 
next year. Ryan Spader, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at the Ace of Spader. You can find links to his newsletter there as well, and you can purchase his book on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Ryan, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Ross, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun.